following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series, God's Answer to the World's Need. In the Christmas Eve sermon, which was the last installment of, of this series, he noted that God's answer to the world's need is Jesus Christ. But a question naturally arises. If the answer to the world's need has arrived in Christ, why is the world still such a mess? Why is there so much wrong in the world? We'll be considering the answer to that question this morning. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When Jesus began his public ministry, he announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. And people began to sense that in Jesus, the Messiah had surely come. They gathered in great crowds to hear him. The general expectation was that when the Messiah came, dramatic things would start to happen. The wicked would be thwarted and the people would be set free from oppression. The world would change. But while Jesus did perform such dramatic miracles, the world did not seem to be changing. The looming question for people became the same one that people have today. If Jesus is the solution to the world's need, why is there still so much trouble everywhere? It seems that even if we try to apply ourselves toward creating a better world, we, st we still end up with one challenge after another. There was once a kindergarten teacher who was helping one of her students put on his boots. He had asked for help and she could see why. With her pulling and him pushing, the boot still did not want to go on. By the time she got the second boot on, she had worked up a sweat. Then the little boy said, teacher, they're on the wrong foot. <clears throat> and sure enough, they were. She managed to keep her cool as she struggled to pull the boots off and then get them both back on, this time on the right foot. Then he announced, these aren't my boots. She wanted to scream. Why didn't you say so? But she bit her tongue. She worked to pull the ill-fitting boots off again. Then he said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. <laughs> the, teacher, <clears throat> the teacher, not sure at this point whether she should laugh or cry, mustered up another grace to wrestle with the boots again and finally got them back on both feet. Okay, she said, now, where are your mittens? He said, well, I stuffed them in my boots. <laughs> Our frustration and confusion in life relates to the fact that we fail to grasp what the real problem is. The problem is inside us. The human problem is that we are alienated from God. And until that problem is addressed, we know no amount of pulling and tugging on other issues, issues will create a real or lasting solution. Jesus addresses the core human problem as he brings us into a right relationship with God. But since the problem is within each human being, the answer is one that must continually unfold with each person and each new generation. 
This basic truth is depicted in the story of the wise men. The story of the wise men is related in the Gospel of Matthew because it conveys major truths about the significance of Jesus' birth. In historical terms, the wise men called Magoi in Greek or the Magi were a group of philosopher priests who were prevalent in Persian society. They studied the stars and they saw something in the heavens which indicated to them that a great king was about to be born in Judea. The significance of that is that the birth of Jesus would be of cosmic, cosmic meaning, of importance to the whole world. The wise men began a journey toward, towards Bethlehem. They were not technically kings, but because they were associated with the ruling class in Persia, they came to be thought of as kings. And they were seen as a fulfillment of a passage in Isaiah which said, Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Although they literally would have come from somewhere in what is now Iran or Iraq, and probably all looked Middle Eastern, over the years they came to be thought of as, thought of as coming from diverse places on the globe. In paintings, they are often depicted as being of various race and nationalities. And in the movie we showed in our church a few weeks ago, Why the Nativity, they were also depicted as coming from East Asia and Africa. This may not be historically precise, but theologically it is on point. Because the significance of the wise man is that people from lands afar were responding in faith to Christ. The wise men became harbingers of the fact that the gospel would go forth into all the world, and people of every race and nation would come to faith. It is notable that as the wise men journeyed, they first went to Jerusalem, because you would expect to find a newborn king in the palace of the current king, which was the palace of Herod the Great. But the Messiah was not in the political center, because the ultimate answer to the world's need can never unfold through the political machinery and worldly centers of the mighty. The answer appeared in an ordinary place, because this is how the answer to our fundamental human need must come. It comes as individual people in ordinary places experience the saving presence of God. The wise men then responded with gifts, offering to Jesus their treasures, signifying how we can each respond to Christ in faith and how we finally can join with Christ in his answer to the world's need by offering what we have to be a part of his work. The gifts also rep represented aspects of who Jesus is, Gold is for a king, signifying how we need Christ to truly reign in our lives. Frankincense is for a priest, signifying how Christ is the one who provides the sacrifice that reconciles us to God. Myrrh is a spice used for burial, representing how Jesus, through his death and resurrection, would open the way for us into life eternal. We are invited to join with the wise men in acclaiming Jesus as our Lord, as our priest and as our savior. The journey of the wise men is an extraordinary story, especially memorable, memorable because it is full of a high drama. The wise men are spurred by a mysterious heavenly sign. They embark on an, on an enormous trek. They encounter but successfully avoid the evil power of the region, King Herod. And finally, they are among the first to behold the savior of the world. It's a glorious saga, 
But at the end of it, nothing changes. When the wise men set out for home, nothing in the Roman Empire had changed, and nothing in their home country would change when they got back. They are a prime illustration of the fact that when the Messiah enters into our world, the world's problems do not disappear. But the wise men themselves changed. The moment in the story is what is traditionally called the adoration, adoration of the wise men. The gospel says that they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid homage. The original Greek words translated knelt down and paid him homage described a movement in which a person would prostrate oneself and touch one's forehead to the ground. It was an ancient Near Eastern sign of giving great honor, and the word to pay homage was also meant to mean worship. Thus, some Bible translations rightly render verse 11 as saying they bowed down and worshiped him. Wise men were recognizing that God was profoundly present in Jesus. Their response and a spirit of worship shows how they were profoundly changed in their own hearts. And this is how Christ changes the world, by bringing about transforma transformation in individual hearts and lives. Those individuals transformed by Christ then make an impact on the world around them. We do not know what specific impact the wise men may have had on their own community in their day, but we do know their impact on us. They have affected the world greatly as their story has been told through the generations. And today, we are invited, along with the wise men, to come to Christ, to offer our worship and our gifts, to experience his transforming power in our hearts and lives, and then to become a part of Christ's answer to the world's needs. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, it is frequently frustrating to get through such a wonderful time of celebration, only to see that much has not changed. Tensions continue amidst families and communities, our nation and world. Problems and challenges continue in spite of the joyous season. Moments come when we feel like giving up. Forgive us, God, when we cast aside and ignore the most enduring victory of all time, that babe in the manger that you sent to us that went on to show us the way, the way to overcome evil with good. We know, O oh God, it begins with our hearts. And through you, your son Jesus Christ has installed an eternal energy that conquers pessimism and defeatism. May we claim this victory and not give up. And we thank you for that gift. Help us, O oh God, to open our hearts to you, to devote energy to loving the unloved, to serving the least of these, to witnessing to your will for peace and compassion. You have shown us through your Son that giving up is not an option. A new life has been born into our souls that calls us to get up and to get going. We pray for those in our congregation this morning with health concerns and loss of loved ones. We lift up Arnie Hawkus, Tim Price, and for the families of Tom Emmerich, Mary Jacoby, and Gail Kloss, who are all mourning the loss of ones that they have loved. We thank you for the sister and brother churches who offer this church their prayers and support. Send us forth today as those ready and willing to face with your son's presence 
the challenge of this coming year. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.